Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello and welcome. How's it going, eh? I'm Norm, and this is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, a special weekly episode that's a compilation of our thoughts on recently played board games. And we would like to welcome another new cast member to the group of cardboard cohorts from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Carlo and Dylan of All You Can Board on YouTube. And contributing to this episode are Board on the Air, Friday Night Games, the Cardboard Kit, Metal Meeples and Beer, Dicey Dragons, and Cardboard Conjecture. Taking this week off, Board and Game with Andrew B. and of Dyson Men. And make sure to check out everybody's channels accessible through the links in the show notes. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And this is what you've been playing with... Oh, wait a minute. Who are you? Jordan. Where's Shay? I'm her better sibling, so I'm filling in for her. I see. So this week on What You've Been Playing, we are going to discuss Onitama. This game is a two-player only game where I would have to say it is chess with some variants. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, so in this game you are... Alternating, taking, moving pieces, and you have five pieces on each board. One is your king, and the other four, I guess you would consider pawns. Uh, you move them by the two cards you have in front of you. You play one of them, you swap it with the neutral card in the middle, and then the next player plays theirs and swaps theirs with the neutral card that you just put there. Uh, in this game, you go back and forth until somebody either captures your king piece, or, as I found out... The other night, your other person gets their king piece into your home. Yeah. Yeah. So, thoughts on the game, Jordan? I really enjoy it. It The first few games can take... Can actually be quicker than later games because you're sort of just going with the flow and you're sort of being a little bit more aggressive. As you play it more, you start becoming a little bit more passive in your approach and letting the opponent come into range. Okay, so... You're thinking more as you play the game. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so why would I play this instead of chess? Uh, these ga- games of Onitama we found can take maybe 10 minutes. And that's even with taking your time and trying to set everything up. And it's a lot less complicated than all the little chess things that can happen. Okay, so the less pieces, uh, so it's a more condensed game is what you would say? Yeah, I would say it's more condensed. Excellent. Okay, so in this one, I know I like to win most of the time, and you've, you've won on occasion. Tell that to yesterday's 2-0 defeat for you. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we've been playing a lot of two-player games. This is one of the ones we played. Uh, production value on this one is a nice, solid production value. I would definitely say it's a nice production value. You get a nice neoprene mat with the base game, and then you have some nice miniatures for your pieces. So Okay, and we were just playing the base game. There are expansions for this one, correct? Yeah, there's two expansions. Okay, what do they add? Uh, one of them just adds more cards to add more variety to it. Okay. And then the second one, I believe, adds a neutral piece in the middle that when you play a card can move your pieces and then also moves that neutral piece to cause some chaos on the board. Uh, this is a fairly, I would say, economical game. It was about 25 30 bucks for the base game. The expansions are about 15 almost the same amount, aren't they? Uh I would say about half. About half, so about 15 bucks. Yeah. Uh, really solid two-player game. Uh, next one we are going to talk about is War Chest. This is... Would you say this is a chess-like game as well? It has chess aspects, but it's a lot 
different than chess. Okay, so more of a war game strategy game? Yeah. Okay, so in this one, you have a board in the middle between the two of you, and there are six possession points that you're trying to get four of them? Six of them. All six of them? Yep. Okay, and so once you do that, you win the game. Uh, there is a multitude of different guys you can have. Yes. Okay, uh, so you're drawing these out of the bag, and each time you draw it, you get to do an ability with that piece. Yep. Uh, they can either put them on the board, you can move one that's already there, or you can... Uh, what is it when you put one on top of the other? You can bolster. Bolster them. Uh, bolstered units are more powerful than regular units, and you go back and forth until... You put all six of your claimed pieces out. So in total on the board, there is about... Eight claim token, eight claim spaces. Okay. So you have two claimed by each player off the start, and then four neutral in the middle. Four to six neutral in the middle. So it's quite a bloodbath in the later part of the game. Okay, so this one is one that can be played one v one or two v two, right? Yep. So if you're playing two v two or one v one, you still only have four units per player, correct? That is correct. Okay, and. Yeah, so as you're playing, you're going back and forth, you're trying to destroy each other's units and try and take over those control points, and you start with two on each side and go from there, correct? That is, yeah, that's correct. Okay, what do you like about this game? I like the thinkingness of it, where you can be doing bad on one side, but if you're quick enough on the other side, you can still win. What do you mean by that? So usually it ends up having two units of each player on either side trying to get through to capture at least one of the opponent's okay, control points. Okay, so two, two fronts. Yeah. Okay. And so you're, you're pushing forward with one as you're defending with the other or vice versa is what you're saying? Yeah. Where, and it's also neat how if one of your guys dies by an attack, you remove the disc, but it doesn't go back into your supply. It just goes out of the game. So the, the units are limited. Yes. Okay. So both these games we talked about tonight really rely on pure strategy. There's no luck involved. Is, is that the type of game that uh, you really like? I do enjoy a good strategy game where you don't have to you know, hope that you roll a dice and win a battle. Okay. Excellent. So I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And this has been Board on the Air with a guest host for What You've Been Playing. Have a great night. Hey everyone, uh, this is Dylan. And I'm Carlo. And we're both from All You Can Board. We're a board gaming creation channel up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where we have temperatures as cold as Mars sometimes. Um, and we're here to talk to you about what we've been playing for uh, What You've Been Playing Wednesday. So we're super uh, pumped and thankful for uh, being invited onto, onto this podcast. So a uh, big thanks to the folks over at Cardboard Conjecture. Um, so we're going to talk to you a little bit about uh, what we've been playing. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Carlo. Uh, what, uh, what have you been playing? I've been playing uh, quite a bit of Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. So um, those of you who might not know, we've been in kind of lockdown here uh, for a while in Manitoba. So I got this specifically to play solo. Um, obviously, Dylan, you know, we've been playing Gloomhaven for a couple of years. Uh, oh, yeah. A group of four of us. Uh, we played through basically the entire Gloomhaven campaign, f almost the entirety of Forgotten Circles. We played tons and tons of Gloomhaven. Um, and I wondered going into this Jaws of the Lion because it is kind of like sort of the, the starting point. It's kind of like if you want to dip your toes in Gloomhaven, this is the place to start. And I wondered, am I going to enjoy it that much as someone who's already seen so much? Is it going to feel like I'm taking a step back? Um, and honestly, it didn't feel like that at all. Uh, it does feel like the perfect kind of introduction to the Gloomhaven world uh, for anyone who's looking to dip their toes in it. But there's still plenty there, like the, the my favorite parts of Gloomhaven, which are kind of exploring the classes and the items that you unlock and seeing your character develop over time. And, you know, just the way the card play works with the initiative, that's all still there in Jaws of the Lion, but it's just more user-friendly. The rules are simplified in certain ways a little bit. Um, it's more of a fully cooperative game rather than semi-cooperative. The only thing is, like, it is a shorter game, right? The box is half the price. You only get the four starting classes, so you, there aren't, like, these long-term retirement goals. It's not as epic in its scale 
but you don't lose the Gloomhaven experience. It just feels like if I wanted to be able to show someone who's less of an experienced gamer um, Gloomhaven, I wouldn't it would be so such a hard ask to get the actual game to the table, but Jaws of the Lion just makes it easier to get into. And aside from the first mi a few scenarios, which are basically a tutorial, um, the rest of them are really, really challenging. And uh, yeah, I, I just highly recommend it. I have a lot to say. Um, we're going to be doing, uh, or we'll have plenty of content for Jaws of the Lion on our channel. I'm going to be doing a solo guide that looks at the two classes that I played in my solo campaign, which is the Demolitionist and the Hatchet. Um, and yeah, for anyone who's wondering, like if you were part of a Gloomhaven group and you're worried about the whole setup, they've made it easy with the scenario book that has the scenarios built in. And one last thing I'll say is just highly recommend you use the Gloomhaven Helper app if you plan on doing this, especially solo. It's um, a lifesaver, like a time saver, I should say. But yeah, that Helper app, we used it like all the time in the original Gloomhaven campaign and it is phenomenal. Absolutely. But yeah, highly recommend it, especially if you're kind of locked uh, on lockdown, you're looking for a solo game to play can't uh, recommend Jaws Line highly enough. Awesome. Uh, I have been playing uh, Hollertau. So uh, anyone who knows me, and uh, hopefully you, you'll all uh, come to learn this about me, is I love my, my Uwe Rosenberg games, and I specifically love Feast for Odin. It's one of my favorite games of all time. So anytime one of his uh, big box games is coming out, um, I'm all over it. And so Hollertau just arrived uh, a couple days ago. I'm super pumped to have it. I played my first solo game of it uh, the other day. Um, and it's, it's interesting, the solo game in this one is actually uh, identical, like, one-to-one -to, -one to the the multiplayer game so if you know how to play one version you know how to play the other version so it's interesting in that um, i played the same type of game we would play just without the opponents there and so taking my turns a lot quicker um, but i thought it was really really great it's super interesting so I, a lot of Uwe Rosenberg games these days have felt like they take a lot of mechanics and systems from his other games and he's slowly evolving on the process. So we saw like it's, it began with Patchwork and then all of a sudden you have uh, Spring Meadow and, and you know Indian Summer and Cottage Garden and all these things taking aspects of that uh, polyomino system and just evolving it. I expected that I guess with Hollertau, like whether it be on a Feast for Odin or Agricola, but um, it very much felt like almost like, I don't want to say this is the start of a new, um, you know, process or a new <laughs> evolutionary path, but it just felt very different than I was expecting. It's very much a resource generating and resource spending game. Like you just have to find the most efficient way to generate these goods for yourself um, in the, the most efficient engine that you can every turn while fighting for spots on the board and then take those goods and translate them into points. And that's at like, it's I'm, slim, I'm slimming that down and simplifying it, but it's very much just how can you most effectively gain points by spending your goods? Like that's essentially the game, right. and uh, and it's obviously the curveball is there's this huge deck of cards that you're incorporating every game, right? Which is yeah, well, and that's a what staple. I was gonna say. Maybe I should elaborate <laughs> that just a little bit. How yeah. you the the how the cards work in here compared to all of Uwe's other games that involve these card systems. Yeah, like and so the interesting thing is in this game, cards can be played anytime. So any card that you have in your hand, you can play it at any points in the game on an opponent's turn, on your turn, no matter where you are, as long as you're not in the very middle of an action. And, and I think even then, it says you can. You just to finish that action first uh, you can play a card so the cards gain you goods they gain you new systems they gain, gain you points there's all different stuff and that'll obviously change your strategy but um, I really enjoyed it I've only played it once so far so I can't really give a overall consensus I based on my first play I don't think this is going to attain Feast for Odin levels of enjoyment for me it's not going to surpass Feast for Odin for me but it's very much uh, a game that I think is going to slot into we being one of my favorite Uwe, Uwe Rosenberg games very much still so yeah, uh, just to recap again, uh, I'm Carlo, this is Dylan here with me as well, who's been talking about Hollertau. We are all you can board. Um, depending on when you hear this, we might actually currently have a giveaway uh, going on to celebrate our one year anniversary. We'd love if you come check out our uh, channel. Again, that's all you can board. You can find us on YouTube and pretty much any social media, as well as on our website at allyoucanboard.com. Big thanks again to the folks at Cardboard Conjecture for having us on here. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Hi there, this is Ian from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And the game that I have been playing this weekend that I want to talk about is Concordia. I'll just give a quick two-sentence summary for those who have not played Concordia or aren't familiar with it. So Concordia is set during ancient Roman times, and you are a merchant, all the players are merchants, that are traveling across the Roman Empire and trying to establish their networks by collecting the resources they need to build into cities 
and buying cards to add to their hand of actions, which will also give them scoring opportunities at the end. We played a two-player game of Concordia, and the Concordia board is really neat because it's actually a double-sided board with two different maps on each side. With each of these maps, you've got the full Roman Empire covering all of Europe and the Mediterranean on one side, and then you've got just Italy, the Italy map on the other side. And the way that it works is that the Roman Empire side is for the larger player counts. The Italy side is for, you know, the two or three player games because it's a tighter map and it makes it a little bit more competitive when you have lower player counts, which is nice because we played a two player game, me and my wife. And I started out the game looking at the board and saying that I think brick is going to be a resource that is going to be a little short. So I started, my strategy was to buy cards right off the bat and specifically the cards that get me particular types of resources. There's specialty cards, which I believe are the Minerva cards. So they'll score all of your brick or all of your wheat that you're built into all at once. As well as some extra trading cards so I could keep the money rolling, which I think was a pretty good strategy and I was feeling pretty good about it. I was flush with resources for most of the game and I had a pretty good network going. However, my wife seemed to be beating me to all the cities. And so what I then started to focus on is getting as many travelers out. And you can have people traveling by land or by sea. And so I got a whole bunch of those out so I could beat her to all the different places that we needed. I needed to build into. And I was building up for a really big um, movement turn where I can move and build into like three or four different cities at once, which is going to be a big play for me. And the and I decided I'm going to wait one more turn. I'm just going to take one more turn and collect resources so I can build into an extra city. But by doing that, I gave her the chance to end the game on her turn, which she did. And I never got to do that big move. Now, the other thing with Concordia is that you don't actually score anything until the end of the game. And so I really I felt like I was doing good. But when we started scoring the points... I realized that she was absolutely crushing me. And even if I had made that last move, I think I would have pulled it close. It would have at least been competitive, but she destroyed me. I guess I didn't build into that many cities as I thought. And she had managed to get all 15 of her trading posts into the cities. But it's a good game. It's a very fun competitive and it works well with two. That's what we've been learning is that I know that it works with higher player counts, but we're in a time right now where we're not allowed to play those higher player counts. And so this actually works really well as a two player game. So if you like Euros and this one's got a bit of a mixture of the resource managing idea from Settlers, along with the network building from Power Grid, and also a pretty cool mechanic for how to use your cards as actions as well as scoring, I highly recommend Concordia. See you later. Hi everyone, I'm the Cardboard Kid. If you don't know me, I'm 11 years old and I've been reviewing games on YouTube since April 2017. So far, I have over 265 reviews and dozens of interviews and features. I played a bunch of games these past few weeks, and I thought I'd give a couple thoughts on each of them. I learned how to play Shores of Tripoli this weekend. The first time, I played as the Tripolitans and hammered the Americans with some early raids. Then, the frigates came, leading to a massive battle. Men fell and ships sank, but the Tripolitans came out on top. I don't want to spoil my upcoming review of My Little Scythe Pie in the Sky, but I will say that I think the additions make the game more interesting for people with a bit more experience than children being introduced to games. I like a lot of things in Tumbletown, the different playmats, the set collection goals, and even how you can choose how you want to build your mitigation engine. I like the western theme, and I like feeling that I'm trying to spruce up a ghost town. Pretty cool. Wingspan has a calm theme, but the game gets a bit tenser each round as you run out of cubes and time. 
Then again, your Tableau engine is really moving, so you're seeing the results of your hard work. I like it. We played Pictomania a couple times just after my 11th birthday and, as always, had a great time. My clue was giving. Dad guessed it correctly, Mum didn't, but to be fair, there were two or three similar clues. Mum drew it looked like candy canes with elephant trunks cutting off on an angle. They were supposed to be swings. Me and Dad were way off. Mum guessed Dad's drawing dining table, but it looked like people playing on a sand table because Sandbox was on the list. Yeah, so many laughs that night. After playing and enjoying Venom Assault, my parents wanted to hear my thoughts on Legendary Encounters Alien. I loved it. Something's making noise in the vents. You decide to check it out. Bam! Oh, it was just Jonesy. Wait, what's that? Terrifying, thematic, and fun. That's about all for now. If you want to see photos and updates on what I'm playing, follow me on Twitter at Cardboard underscore Kit. For weekly reviews, check out my YouTube channel, The Cardboard Kid. Please stay safe. Happy gaming! What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Dyson Dragons. Except Twitter, which is Dyson Dragon. I don't know why, Jason. Couldn't get the S. Don't remember. It's been a while now. Hasn't stopped anyone from finding us. And this is our segment for What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. Just want to say a big thanks to the guys at Cardboard Conjecture, the Bridge City Board Gamers, for inviting us to be a part of this great Canadian show. Now, what are we going to be talking about? What have we been playing? Well, let's start with the first game we played this week. We played Sword Art Online, the yeah. uh, dice game. Well, it's they call it a board game, but it's very much a dice game. It is the Sword of Fellows. Now, by the time this is released, our review on how to play for that game will have been released. So feel free to go check it out if you want to hear our thoughts in more detail. So it's definitely a dice chucking game. Uh, I... I think what I can say is I used to love dice chucking games. I think I'm starting to like them less. Is that possible? <laughs> Maybe as my tastes, as we've, been, we've played hundreds of games, I guess, in the last two years we've been working on the channel. Not hundreds, but we've cleared a hundred. I would say at the end of this year, you can probably say hundreds. <laughs> okay, we've played a lot of games in yes. the last two years, all kinds of different games and stretched outside of my comfort zone. And I think what I would say is, this is not a bad game. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. I think maybe I'm just growing out of dice chucking games. I think you're growing out of very random dice chucking games because as good as the game is at accomplishing its goal, which is to simulate the first arc of Sword Art Online, it does it exactly well. Actually, a little bit to its detriment with regards to the final boss, which we'll talk about uh, before we move away from this. But the game is very random. You're throwing dice, you've got limited abilities, and the less characters you're playing with, the more apparent the weaknesses of the system are. Now, the game is published uh, by Katakawa Shoten and designed by Arclight Games. The designer is Seiji Kanai, who also did Love Letter, if I'm not mistaken. So the game really shines at four players. And if you are looking to get the game over here in North America, it was also published in conjunction with Japan Anime Games. They were kind enough to send us a review copy of this game. Now we have the deluxe version, and if you are interested in maybe getting the regular version, check out the YouTube channel, we'll be doing a giveaway. Hopefully this year, our regular version of the game is stuck somewhere uh, over the border. <laughs> so Jason, uh, as a fan of Sword Art Online, why don't you tell the listeners what, uh, how well this... Uh, how it adapts the theme? Yeah. So. I'll summarize the theme very quickly. This is a short segment after all. So Sword Art Online, people get stuck in a, the first ever virtual reality MMORPG. They are now living in the world and it is a death game, meaning if you die, you die in the real world. So what you're doing is you're taking on the roles of the characters, primarily Kirito, who is the hero that in the story clears Sword Art Online. You're gonna be going through encounters 
from the anime series. You must clear those encounters without anyone dying until you get to the final boss, which will then become, well, in the last stage, a one-on-one -on -one fight, which is Kirito versus the last guy. Uh, yeah, that summarizes it. Well, and to do that, you're rolling dice, trying to get different combinations of dice depending on your characters. Sometimes you want straight, sometimes you want doubles, sometimes you want less than or equal to something. That's the way it works. Sounds good. So, do I want to move on to the next game? Yeah, so we enjoyed the game, but not our favorite. Now we're going to talk about the game that everyone really wants to, to hear about. This is Lost Ruins of Arnak, designed by Min and Elwin, and published by Czech Games Edition. So we had to get this to the table after playing Dune Imperium, as this was the other hot to trot worker placement and deck building game. Take it away, Julie. Much more of a deck builder, I would say, uh, this one is than Dune. I, uh, first of all, I have to say, this is a very pretty game. This is very much up my alley. I think it's very pretty to look at. I love that it has plastic gems and uh, arrowheads and tablets. Not quite sure why they did cardboard, cardboard gold coins and compasses. But the rest of it, like even uh, the, like the cardboard that is used for, for some of the other components, I think is really great quality. To be honest, we've never actually bought like blinged out components. I mean, replacing something with an upgraded component that is not by the company. I might want to do it for this game just for the gold and the compasses. We're, we're thinking about it. Now, I have to agree with you. I find that this is much more of a deck building game than Dune Imperium. Uh, we always found the worker placement was a lot stronger, at least in our two-player games. Maybe if you played a three- or four-player game and being able to buy those uh, spice blow cards, it's a lot more powerful. You're talking Dune. In Dune, yes, exactly. Whereas what we found in this game is because you've got a six-card deck, if you're able to trash cards and get your deck going very quickly, those cards that you buy are almost going to be coming up every single turn. So the way that you build your deck is really going to matter in the long term. And the worker placement, as much as you get a bonus for uh, exploring a, a site, a dig site first, uh, you can still go explore it afterwards. So it's not like if somebody's already been there, you'll never be able to go and get those resources. Yes, and as we saw in our most recent game, even though you may not get an opportunity to defeat a guardian, you will have other opportunities to score points by going up the research track, which is something that we found was pretty cool. And also those bonuses that you get, really enjoy those. Also, what do you think about the assistance? Well, I think the assistants uh, do offer you a, a nice little push. Uh, you have to pick them well. Uh, you know, it depends who you have access to. There, there is some random elements with any deck builder or even with the assistants because they're, you know, uh, or even the dig sites. You get different guardians and different uh, resources at the dig sites and you can't plan in advance. So, uh, so far, I am really enjoying this game. I think we need a couple more. Uh, we're going to put a couple more games in before we do our review. Yeah, I think we need at least two. One on the standard side and then we're going to go over and try the more difficult side, the... I believe it's the snake temple after everything goes wrong. Somehow a bird becomes a snake. Not sure how. In any case, we are Dyson Dragons. That's what we've been playing this past week. So you can find us out there on social media. I'll let Julie take it out because you know what? Her sweet tones are better than mine. <laughs> so you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Dyson Dragons. Thanks. Have a great week and keep playing games. Hello folks, I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one-third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us, at BC Board Gamers. And we have started uploading some videos onto our YouTube channel. Just search up Bridge City Board Gamers, where you can see some unboxing videos, along with a show called Jabs, just another board game show. This week I would like to highlight some of the games I've been playing online lately. It was a slow week for playing physical games, and the games that my wife and I did actually play have already been ones that I've already mentioned on the show. I've been playing on and off on Board Game Arena since the pandemic started just under a year ago now. It will never replace the tactile feel of playing a physical game with friends around the table, but it definitely scratches the itch at times. 
This past Friday, I got in a session on Board Game Arena with some friends, and we managed to get in three games. The first was Puerto Rico, a classic Euro design that has been a favorite in our gaming community for a very long time. Puerto Rico is a role selection game where you are trying to produce goods and then either sell them for money or ship them for points. Along the way, you're developing a tableau of buildings that will increase your efficiency to do certain things or score your points in the end of the game. This was my first time playing with the expansion buildings, which was really neat because you have to draft the buildings that will be available to purchase in the game. Now, Puerto Rico is one of those games that I probably only play a couple times a year and always forget what to do. So my strategy of drafting buildings was out, was out the window and I just kind of just picked whatever. This also meant that it took almost half the game for me to realize what I should have been doing all along. I messed up the quote-unquote order of operations to do well. I'll always enjoy my games of Puerto Rico, just maybe I'll have to freshen up on the rules beforehand next time. Uh, the next games in the evening were Race for the Galaxy, kind of fitting as it's very Puerto Rico-like in the uh, role selection aspect of the gameplay, and we ended off the night playing with the Little Seven Wonders, a staple that we've been playing on BGA quite re uh, recently. Both are lighter games and are quick uh, and played quickly, but still offer a bit of depth in the gameplay. I love Race for the Galaxy, but in this instance I got my engine going just a little too late compared to the person who won. In Seven Wonders, I made a couple of crucial drafting errors, passing seemingly bad cards for me to another person who appreciated the excellent quality of cards for his tableau. I want to close out this week's segment talking about one of my favorite games of all time that is available to play on yukata.de. Uh, that game being Grand Austria Hotel, designed by Simone Luciani and Virgio Gili. Now, Grand Austria Hotel, at its heart, is a dice drafting game where you will be selecting dice from a display, with each value depicting the type of action that you can take. The more dice that are available for an action, the better the action is for you. Your goal is to open up rooms in your hotel and fill them with guests that have been satisfied in your cafe. Much like filling a contract. Most guests will grant you points and also get a bonus. You can also hire staff to your hotel which will grant you in-game perks and possibly end-of-game scoring opportunities. This is where I love the gameplay of Grand Austria Hotel. You see, you only have 7 rounds to score the most points possible. So finding combos in your staff cards and guest cards to grant you some of those extra actions or stuff is crucial to success. And of course, every game plays differently as there's always different global objectives you can work towards to gain big points at the end. And there's also many other things you can use to score points over the course of the game. Stefan Feld would be very, very proud. I love these Euro games where the discovery of combos to be more efficient during gameplay is very satisfying. Now, the downside to Grand Austria Hotel, though, is that they use a snake drafting mechanic for selecting the dice. This means three and four player games, it takes a very long time in between turns, especially if you're playing with analysis paralysis prone players. I usually only ever play this game two player, and it is excellent excellent at that count. I highly recommend it. One of the only Euro games, Five Tribes being the other, where I prefer to only play this game strictly as a two-player game. If you ever like to play a game and challenge my undefeated streak at Grand Austria Hotel on yukata.e, please send me a message, ryan at cardboardconjecture.com. And that's what I've been playing this week. I'm Ryan from Cardboard Conjecture. Ryan from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. There we go. Got it. Second try. You can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at BC Board Gamers, to see what we've been up to lately. Also, check out our recently revitalized YouTube channel. Just search up Bridge City Board Gamers. Okay, folks. I will hear, you'll hear from me again next week. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're Friday Night Games. So you can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, 
and on our website at FridayNight.Games. Okay, so we're here to talk about what we played, possibly wrong, <laughs> for Wednesday. Oh, we played it wrong. <laughs> we had a good, it was a good game, though. It was really funny when we, when we did. So uh, what game did we play, John? Uh, we played Mind Management uh, by Off the Page Games, designed by Jay Cormier and Senfung Lim. Right, so it's a very simple hidden movement deduction game for two to five players. Uh, you play one person plays as the recruiter who's moving around the map trying to contact recruits. Once you recruit nine players or nine recruits in the base game, before you set amount of rounds, changes per game and module that you're playing. Right, and as the rogue agents, you're trying to capture the recruiter. Uh, this side can be played by one to four players as they all use four agents to move around the board. Two are activated each round. As a recruiter, uh, you will mark off where they were at the end of what locations. As a rogue agent moves, they will land on a space and call out a object or landmark on that location. The recruiter will either say whether they've visited a space on the board with that landmark, and they will put a foot token down there to be investigated later by the agent, or they will say no. And a rogue agent's ultimate goal is to land on that space of the recruiter and capture them. And the agents move two spaces at a time while the recruiter moves one space at a time. There is a more complex game where agents have special abilities and agents can put walls that the recruiter cannot move through. And the recruiter also has these immortal tokens uh, where they can hide their tracks. And as a recruiter, you have a special move ability called slip that uh, we'll mention a little bit later. Nice. So, Matt, why do we love it? Well, okay, so I really like it because it's a really good hidden movement game. Uh, it reminds me of the game uh, Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, but it's cool mm -hmm. because it has several modes to it. So it has like a simple mode, um, which is kind of the, which is a game that we played on Friday. Uh, you basically have one, you have a recruiter and a bunch of rogue agents, and it's as simply as simple as it is. You just move around the board trying to guess locations that the recruiter had uh, been had had um, visited. And so right. as, as a rogue agent, you're just trying to figure out where they are after a certain period of time, and then you capture them on the space. But the more advanced rules um, actually adds a little couple like pretty cool elements of the game where a, you know, a recruiter can actually hide their location by being at an immortal space, or which means that they could actually say no to visiting locations. Yep. And an uh, agent actually can put down walls that a recruiter can't move through. So it could be actually a little bit more strategic. Plus, all the agents have special abilities, which help them try and locate the recruiter. So, and, and to top it off, there are modules, which add more elements to the game as you play through. So it kind of has that simple legacy aspect to it, which is really neat. Yeah. Uh, I love it because I'm a huge fan of the comic book. So the, com the, the basic story about mind management is a story about a person named Maru. Um, she's a true crime writer who searches the truth behind... Mis There's a mysterious airline flight in the comic book. And as she's trying to uncover this truth, she, she finds this secret government agency of super spies. Uh, there's espionage involved, and they have psychic abilities. And there's another character named Henry Lime, who is a former top agent at Mind Management. And he's gone rogue, and he's trying to dismantle the organization so those are maru and henry lime are actually two playable characters as the rogue agents in the game which is pretty cool um and i also really loved the uh marketing that they had for the kickstarter last year um it was great and they had a bunch of hidden messages in like all the reviewer videos that sent you on like a uh, a treasure uh treasured uh searching for the um for these clues, um, treasure hunt, that's the word I'm looking for, for these clues, um, so that you can gain stretch goals and stuff like that um, throughout the game and throughout the campaign. And they hit every single stretch goal. Um, I got the deluxe edition. The, deluxe edition. the box is going to be huge. Um, what's really cool about this comic and this game is that there's a lot of like hidden messages uh, worked into like all the advertising inside the books along the sides of the pages. This box, I guess, is going to be full of it. 
And I'm really looking forward to what uh, they produce. So I'm really excited to get that box on my doorstep, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah, their campaign was really cool. I remember they uh, even released, there was this other like mint game and they they released mint management at the same time. Yeah. So there's like two Kickstarters <laughs> going. One was mind management, then it was mint management. It was super cool. So John, uh, maybe you can get it a little bit into this one, but we played it completely wrong. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> which is which is yeah. okay. So just as a note, this game is uh, kickstarted in March, I think, around there, March, May, April, something around there, and we played it um, via Tabletopia around that time, and we actually played it on Friday again. So we have actually played this game before, but you made some errors. I did. <laughs> you want to um, that? So, so obviously, playing games on Tabletopia is, is a lot different than playing games in real life. Um, so in reading the rules for the game, uh, we're talking about like movements and stuff like that. The recruiter is only allowed to move one space at a time. And then you can, there's a spot in the game where you can use something called the mind slip. And that allows you to do a special movement to kind of, if, you know, the recruiters or sorry, if the rogue agents are on your trail, you can slip out of the, their, their reaches, I guess. Um, but the cards that you get to play your rogue agents, um, they don't really say much other than what your uh, mind slip ability is. But I thought that was my move ability for the entire game. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with my mind slip? I don't have that. So instead oh. of moving one space, I was moving like two spaces each time. And, and um, so, 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 so Matt, Matt said that that made the game harder, but I think it made it easier. Well, okay, so you chose the one. So there's actually two slips. One slip is on a, right. is on a diagonal, so you can move your character on like a diagonal motion, right? Yeah, and then the other one is that you you move your character two spaces up, left, right, or down. So, yeah. um, okay. First of all, if you did the diagonal one, you so as a recruiter, you can't actually go revisit spaces you've been to. So right. if you did the diagonal one, yeah, that would be impossible because <laughs> you would have right. to. I, I didn't do the diagonal one, okay. but uh, the 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 issue was I started I started like not. Uh, at the edge, but like I think one or two squares away from the the edge, mm-hmm. so I'm moving two spaces left and right and or and up. So while you're you're uh, you're coming in from the outside, and I was moving closer to you, like with each passing with each move. So yeah, I, I, that's why I thought it would it was easier for you to catch me. Is, yeah, so I so I thought it was harder because you're moving two spaces at a time uh, up and down. But now, but when I thought about it, when I went to you know once I went to bed, I'm like, oh, I was dreaming about it in my sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I realized that like you were you could only move left, right, up and down. So it was actually kind of hard for you to move around the board because you're right. like, oh, I can't move back two spaces because I already visit that space. So I kind of get why it was, and and you're trying to hit all the recruits on the board, and it, yep. it's, it honestly it was probably impossible to hit all the recruits. <laughs> it was. I don't think I only got like three or something. Yeah, which which is like, which is impossible for you to find all of them because you're moving <laughs> two spaces up. So if you really look at the board, like you can't move that one space. There's no way you can get everything. But you yeah. But the time could have ran out and I could have lost. However, right. it was super hard for me because if you're moving two spaces at a time. I actually have no idea where you visited because <laughs> I was thinking, you got to remember, I'm thinking you moved one space at a time. <laughs> right, right. So you're like, oh, I'm here at this spot. And then, you know, turn four, I'm like 10 spaces away. I'm like, how does it even happen? Right. So we, right. we played that wrong. But then we did, once you clued in and I actually caught you, which I thought was a, was a, a miracle. So I'd like to pat myself on the back for actually catching you. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> but you were probably also like, I can't move anywhere, so it didn't even matter. Um, right. But then we played it right, and again, the game is just fantastic. I lost. Uh, I, I, I won with the, <laughs> with the bad house rules, and I lost uh, as the rogue agents against John as a recruiter with the uh, real rules. So I actually think the game's yeah, pretty yeah. tough. But I had a lot. I had a ton of fun playing it. I can highly recommend it, especially if you like hit those Same. hidden movement games. It's it's a lot of fun. So, so why why don't we like this game, Matt? Uh, you tell me. Well, you tell me first. Why don't you not like this game? <laughs> uh, I don't like it because I don't. Own it. It's not on my shelf yet. I don't own a physical copy of it. Really? Yeah. I I'm, I I just want to dive into it and see what all those shift tokens are all about. Um, get those different modules, play the full game. 
yeah i think with our group i think the modules are cool also i don't like playing on tabletopia i wish if we had the the full thing we could play in person because it's a lot easier and faster to play it i feel like the yeah. game took maybe like half an hour it probably would have only taken 15 minutes so <laughs> right but uh, i also hate the fact that i've never been recruited by the mind management firm <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah it sounds like a pretty cool place to be i mean you said they're like gotta be a psychic man well yeah i'm pretty psychic i predicted uh the crew would be the best game of the year dude okay <laughs> and <laughs> and i think i'm i'm a star at market i'm a star at their marketing campaign i think i could hide things you know i always hide um you know i, I never write down my notes for these podcasts so you know i'm pretty good at that <laughs> Well, thanks for playing with me, Matt. Appreciate it. Welcome. All right. And again, we're Friday Night Games. You can check us out on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official. Twitter at Friday Night GMS. Our new Twitch stream, twitch.tv slash Friday Night GMS. And our website, FridayNight.Games. And we release a podcast every Friday. So check it out on your favorite streaming platform. It's Rob from Metal Meeples and Beer, um, and I am again this week joined with my wife, Anna Marie. Hello. And we are coming at you recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast for the fourth straight week. Um, and we're going to be talking about a game that Ryan from uh, BC Board Gamers talked about last week, but we've been playing it a lot lately, and we thought we just had to talk about it because we've been enjoying it so much. And that is Whistle Mountain from Bezier Games. Designed by Scott Caputo and Luke Laurie. It's a two to four player worker placement game in which you are a successful um, railroad company that is now investing their money back into creating all these fantastical machines and you're building them out in the in the in the mountains um, on top of some scaffolding and things like this. And it's it's a, it is a worker placement game, but the cool thing about this game is that you are kind of building the worker placement spots as you go through the game. So as you build up these, uh, uh, what were they, the scaffolding tiles and the then machines. the machine tiles on top of the scaffolding, they're opening up new and covering up old uh, worker placement areas for you. And you have three uh, kind of uh, different shaped workers to you. You have a single uh, square worker, a double square, and a triple square worker. And they're they're in the design of... Uh, a hot air balloon and a, a blimp, a blimp and a big, a big blimp, yeah. right? <laughs> and yeah, you're going around and you're collecting the resources and you're using those resources to pay to buy these machines and such. And yeah, we, I enjoy the game. What do you think about it, Anna Marie? Yeah, I thought it was a fun worker placement. I, I really do enjoy worker placements in general. And part of that is that it's generally really difficult to place your workers. There aren't always the places available that you <clears> want to go to, <throat> but in this one, it's almost like there's an abundance of places to go to. And so yeah. your, your choice becomes more, um, when am I going to go there? When mm -hmm. is it going to make the most sense for me to go there? And if I can't go there this time, it's okay. Cause there are lots of other options that I can use that will still benefit me. Yeah. And only a couple of the spots are limited. Most of them, uh, I could go there and you could go there, especially right. on the outside of the board. But then on the, like on the, the main part of the board there on the main grid, uh, that landscape kind of changes as you go, right? You're covering things up and you're laying down new things and opening up different angles to place your workers down and collect different types of resources. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a really cool system. Yeah, I found that the cards were a really important aspect of mm -hmm. the game. I find every game we play, I try to take more of them and they tend to help me out quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. The cards do seem to be uh, uh, something I've overlooked um, that I kind of need to get back into uh, looking closer at those because they do seem to give you almost an extra turn or an extra action per turn, yeah. I should say, as you're playing through, right? Because instead of, because uh, you can use them at any time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's great that way. I also like the variability because they have so many uh, machines and so many upgrades and different startup abilities. I really feel like you could play this game a lot and not be playing the same game because you're always going to be having oh, yeah. different different abilities. Totally, it'll be completely different. Yeah, you have the starting abilities that make make your 
your character uh, better or different than the other guy. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great game. Uh, there's a couple things I would change, and Ryan actually mentioned it on the last one. It's the, the scoring, because the scoring is crazy high in this game. I think you had 140 or 130 points both times right. you played. I had a bad score in the first game, and I, I did much better, 100 and something points the next time. So you're talking hundreds of points in this game, potentially, and you have all these tokens, right? And then it would have just benefited from having a scoring track. In my Definitely yeah, a track <laughs> would have been a Yeah, better. but uh, that's kind of a nitpick for sure. But uh, yeah, no, the game itself is awesome. The theme, I kind of don't fully understand. Um, like, I get it about, you know, investing and building on these crazy machines, but actually doing building these machines out in the uh, mountains seems strange to me. Usually you kind of truck out the, the resources and build them, you know, off-site. But... That's kind of besides the point. The, the, the game really does work well, uh, kind of ignoring that fact. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a super solid game. Yeah. Um, we can move on because we're running out of time here. The second game we wanted to talk about is Cartographers, uh, which was designed by Jordi Aiden or Aden, I'm not sure, from Thunderworks Games. Um, it's a flip and write game that uh, we both absolutely love and play a lot. And we played it a lot lately. Yeah, so um, uh, this game is basically you're you're mapping territory and claiming it for your queen. Yeah. But I'll I'll start out by saying I don't think about that at all while I'm playing (laughs) the game. Um, I am just thinking about it like a puzzle, and that's all I'm doing is a puzzle. Oh, totally. Um, It's it's so much fun because everybody has the same options, but you all end up with different maps because it's like Tetris, and you get to fit the pieces in where Mm -hmm. you feel fit. And on every card that you flip over, you generally have an option between this type of landscape or that type. You either have trees or water or fields or houses or whatever. So I might take trees this time and you might take houses. And and you also have two different options on the shape you get to put down. So right. I might use the L shape and you might use the cross shape and do two different things. So you do have a lot of different variability. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's a fill in the page to the best of your ability kind of game. Yeah. And it's fun because when you have, uh, if you think that, oh man, I messed up here and I messed up there and the other person's going to have a better map than me, there's this element of monsters that come in, mm-hmm. comes in and that's fun <laughs> because when you get that card comes up, you flip your page, not flip, you pass your uh, paper to yeah. one of the other players mm-hmm. and they get to fill in the monsters on your map yeah. wherever they want. And it's just another obstacle that you yeah. have to deal with, right? They get to thwart you and mm-hmm. and where they want to do it. So it's it's a lot of fun because it throws a wrench in your plans and it just makes it fun. It adds a little bit of, I don't know, just a little bit of fun in there. Yeah. And yeah, I, I like it. It's nice and quick, but I fi- and mm-hmm. I find that usually once we've played once, I want to play again right away. I agree. It's <laughs> so kind of, I have a lot kind of, fun of game that it. you kind of want to just flip the page over right away because I believe there's just a different grid on the back and just start another game. Yeah. And yeah, I like it because you just go through the four seasons and you can kind of see the countdown to as to when each season is going to end depending on what cards you draw. And then you can tell which which of the different uh, end-of-game scoring things you're going to yeah. be doing each round. So you're going to be concentrating on two of four different things each round. That's right. And... Yeah, the variability of the cards and 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 what you're what you're aiming to do is just it's always different, always cool, awesome flipping right. Um, one of my favorites in this genre by a long shot. Um, so yeah, no, it's a great great game, and we're at the seven minute mark already. So again, this has been Rob from Metal Meeples and Beer, along with my wife Anna Marie. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you guys uh, next week. And Cheers. bye, hello. I meant see ya. Yeah, yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Legacy game. Okay. That's a lot to think about. Uh, haven't played it. I kind of want to play it, though. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let's move on here. Jeff says, I managed to set up Praga and played through a few rounds with the solar rules to get a bit of a feel for it. I am absolutely unfamiliar with that one. I'm going to have to do some research. So this is exactly why I like what's going on with this. A lot of input makes my research a lot easier. Um, Dylan says he played Arkham Horror TCG uh, with his wife. Um, that's, you know, that's a that's a, a brand that I haven't really gotten into. But Ryan raves about the, uh, the Arkham Horror card game. And, uh, and I, I mean, I have the Lord of the Rings. I like it. I have Marvel Champions. Love it. And for anybody who knows... Ron and I are due, we started a new YouTube, he probably mentioned it, but we started a new YouTube show called Jabs, just another board game show. Yeah, I'm kind of cynical. Um, and uh, every, we're going to try and do a uh, Marvel Champions fight night, and we had the first one, and we played, uh, I played Spider-Man, love me some Spidey, and he played Doctor Strange, of course he has to be a doctor and um we fought uh, we we started our first uh scenario with uh rhino standard and uh boy oh boy i'm glad we started there because we just got the w so yay for that um so uh moving on we've got uh lane a, a regular contributor to this thread uh big week in the house you know i, I don't want to hear about it I'm a solo gamer in this. No, okay, I'm joking. Um, uh, Mexica, Zero of the Seas. Oh, I loved Zero. Uh, Blockus, Talisman, Batman, Zombie Kids, Evolution, Parks, and Sagrada. That is a menu. Well done. Kudos. Golf clap. Um, all right, Eli, Arkham Horror LCG, Quacks of Quidlinburg, and Lockup. Lockup, part of the uh, um, role player. Um, cartographers world. Uh, I, I, that's kind of cool that, that they're creating a, uh, a sphere of games based around a, um, uh, uh, um, a world that's uh, world building. Love it. Love it. Moving on, Chris played Reign of Cthulhu and Nino Kuni 2 and the folks and Bricks by myself. Uh, Reign of Cthulhu I, I don't have that much Cthulhu stuff. It interests me, but um, uh, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I do some research on that. Yeah, cool. Um, the other ones, uh, I, ah, vague. I'm not, I've got a lot of homework to do. Uh, moving down the list, we have Garth. Says that he played Isle of Cats and his favorite, Scythe. Yes. Both. I haven't played All of Cats. I hear it's fantastic. One of those polyomino kind of spatial relationship puzzle building things. And Scythe is um, kind of like a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the, and, the, and the sheep's clothing is very Euro. So you think it's going to be a dudes on the map game, but it's, it's got such a Euro uh, a DNA to it. It's just like, it's incredible. Um, uh, also... Uh, for myself, at least, just to round this out, uh, my daughter and I played, uh, we did an episode of Jabs, just another board game show. You have to say it very sarcastically um, or cynically. Eh, depends. Um, but we played uh, Silver and Gold, uh, Phil, Phil Walker Harding. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's the flip and right, again, with the polyominoes. But it was, it was cool. It played fast. Um, and uh, it, it's a lot of uh, interesting thinking, a, little a lot of decision-making to, uh, to do. So uh, for me, it's good uh, kind of like uh, cotton candy for the brain, kind of get the, get, get the uh, board gamer um, uh, frontal lobe activated. Uh, and, and anything that my daughter likes to play, I am so in because, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm all by myself here. So... We would like to take this opportunity to thank everybody who is a uh, contributor to this awesome special weekly episode. Uh, we, I mean, this episode couldn't happen without all of the incredible uh, 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 collaborators and cardboard cohorts uh, who make this a, uh, a possibility. So, yay team! And uh, 
we encourage you to uh, take the time and, and click on the links in the show notes and go explore all of their incredible content. And uh, I've, got, I've got like a, uh, a media uh, stacked wait list of things that I'm churning through and, uh, and I'm trying not to uh, be influenced and in my acquisition disorder, it, it, it's this delicate balance of, of listen to a little bit and then s- suppress this need to go and purchase what they talk about. So well done to all of the contributors to this wonderful, wonderful project. And uh, I, I'm, 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 I can't wait for February. So thank you very much and take care out there. Keep your stick on the ice and be safe. This has been an episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday, brought to you by the very disturbed people at Cardboard Conjecture. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to hear more, please click on the links in the show notes, and that will take you to every contributor's channel and content.